Hello and welcome to Watershed's July podcasts. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. And this month is all about the magnificence of Orson. Citizen Kane, the feature film debut of the barely 25-year-old theatre upstart Orson Welles, regularly comes up top of critics' polls of the greatest film ever made. Kane changed the way film would be thought of aesthetically, critically and industrially. Wells and his partnership with innovative cinematographer Greg Toland redefined the language of filmmaking. Critics found in Wells an exemplar of the auteur theory and helped articulate how film would be written and thought about as an art form. And following their bruising experience, both in the production and reception of Kane, Hollywood studio execs would think twice about the wisdom of letting some wunderkid with no filmmaking experience loose in their toy shop. Certainly the impact of Citizen Kane and the subsequent films of its precociously talented director remain immense. As we mark the centenary of his birth, it's worth reminding ourselves of the pre-Citizen Kane Orson Welles in his early 20s and shaking up the world of theatre and radio. It was here where the mischievous and creative seeds were planted and which flowered so magnificently, if also painfully, over an astonishing film career. Wells, with his Mercury Theatre, a rep company set up by him and producer John Houseman, had a rising reputation in the New York theatre scene of the late 1930s and early 40s. In 1937, they produced a manifesto for a socially progressive theatre, and one of the many high points was to have people queuing round the blocks to see an all-black production of Julius Caesar. But it was on radio that Wells would reach national notoriety with an ingenious reworking of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. The radio adaptation, done as a series of live news interruptions to an evening of music, has such an air of authenticity that it had the listening public increasingly alarmed, to such an extent that Wells and the radio station had to reassure them on air that it was an adaptation. Orson Welles' reputation was made, and the dream machine of Hollywood beckoned. However, Welles, as you see from his films, was never interested in dreams, but rather in flaws and tragedy. It's easy to forget that the Mercury Theatre was more than Welles. John Houseman was central to keeping it focused and solvent, whilst the company included actors such as Joseph Cotton, Everett Sloan and Agnes Moorhead, all names that would be part of Welles' film career. Behind the scenes were scriptwriters such as Herman J. Mankiewicz, who would fall out over authorship of the script to Citizen Kane, and composer Bernard Herrmann, who would later forge an unrivalled creative partnership with Alfred Hitchcock, and some of the most distinctive film scores in the history of cinema with Psycho and Vertigo, as well, of course, as the atmospheric scores to Wells' own Citizen Kane and The Magnificent Ambersons. In film, though, it was the relationship with cinematographer Greg Toland that was central. Toland, one of the top Hollywood cinematographers, was eager to explore and experiment with the possibilities of filmmaking. Famously, Toland said he could teach Wells everything about filmmaking in a weekend. This would include watching and re-watching John Ford's stagecoach, and he would get Wells up to speed with the conventional grammar of film. The space given to both men and Citizen Kane would rewrite those conventions and introduce a much more expansive and cinematic approach to visual storytelling. From extreme depth of field 
extreme angles to dramatic dissolves, long takes, and combining the language of documentary with fiction. Wells, however, would never have the same kind of freedom and creative control he had on Kane. His next film, The Magnificent Ambersons, was re-edited by the studio RKO following poor test screenings, and also whilst Wells was out of the country researching his next project. What remains can only hint at the ambition of vision Wells was striving for. From Ambersons on, it would be an epic struggle for Wells to make his own films, often financing them from other projects and even putting them on hold whilst he went off to raise more money through acting roles or lending his mellifluous tones to advertising. However, these circumstances made Wells, if anything, more creative and his films much more interesting than if they were made through the studio system. What we are left with is one of the most extraordinary bodies of work in cinema. Films that are innovative, experimental, audacious, and like the man himself, flawed, but quite magnificent. This month we are screening the new print of Touch of Evil and The Third Man, plus a new documentary, Magician, The Astonishing Life and Work of Orson Welles. Our brunch season in July will show Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, Lady from Shanghai, and the rarely seen the Stranger. And finally, it may well be that we can understand more about this larger-than-life figure through his lifetime interest in magic, illusion tricks and stage performances. Stuart Nolan, who's a research magician and was in residence with us a couple of years ago, will introduce a screening of The Astonishing Life and Work of Orson Welles on the 14th of July, where he will revisit Welles's fascination with magic. For more information on the event, and all the films screening in the season, go to the Watershed website, watershed.co.uk. That's all for this month.